0: and welcome to the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. My name's Ethan, and we are starting a new series in this podcast on leadership. Effective leadership, biblical, manly leadership, uh, different forms of what this looks like. How does this play out? Uh, And the reason why I'm doing this series is this week we're going to be looking at effective leadership, and then I've got a guest coming on the show here in a couple weeks, uh, former Navy SEAL Garrett Unkelbach. Um, I'm excited for him to come on as we're going to be discussing this in further length at different and four different subjects, but the reason why I'm choosing leadership is I continually see a consisting and varying amount of books on leadership, how to be a leader, and it's, it's interesting too because the way in which social media has influenced our understanding of what social media, uh, or excuse me, how leadership is supposed to be, I really think uh, kind of sh- throws in a shade on a different, um, different ways of being a leader, but I mean, when we think about it, we all want to be a good leader. Depending on where you're at in your life, you find yourself in different situations in which you are leading. You may not feel like a leader, even if you're a subordinate, but you are still leading depending on your title and your position. People are still looking at you. For moms and dads, your kids are looking at you and you are actively leading them. But do you know that you're leading them? That's a big question that we've got to ask ourselves, because I think so often many people assume that leadership comes with a title, leadership comes with a rank or position. But honestly, leadership is played out in every aspect of your life. The question is, is what kind of a leader are you? And what's interesting about this is that we we see that the social media influence on uh, people assuming that leadership is kind of codependent upon the following is not necessarily the case. You know, there's big name people on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok that are leading people and people are being influenced by how they're leading, but it's definitely a poor style of leadership because there's no method, mode, or reason behind why and how they're leading. So when we think about this and you think about leadership as we're jumping right into this, um, what I want you guys to think about is... A few different things of what comes to mind when you think of the word leader or when you think of someone who says I'm a leader or if your parents told you this or other people told you this like, hey, you know, so and so you're a natural leader. But here's a a few things that I I wrote down for this podcast and this will be a shorter, briefer podcast, but this is going to kind of set us up for the remaining podcast that we're going to be looking at. And here's the first thing is like, how can we be effective leaders and what does effective leadership look like? Now, the best kind of leader does not have to remind their subordinates of their title, position, or circumstance. I often saw this play out where the person says, in the military specifically, you see this a lot, is, look, I am a captain of such and such, or I am the commander of such and such. Uh, now, take this into the civilian and into the you know normal person, if you will, that's not in the military, is, I am the regional manager of this. Anytime, if you're a leader, that you have to throw your rank or title around, that is meaning that there has been degradation in the leadership structure that you have been developing within that culture of that work environment. So the best kind of leader does not have to consistently remind their subordinates that you are the one in charge or that they are. If they're, if you're the leader, you do not have to continually allow and remind your subordinates that you're in charge. Now, there's options and opportunities in which, you know, insubordination can happen and you got to kind of fact check them But really what that comes down to is you've bred and cultivated some form of work environment in which they think that they can usurp you or they can be insubordinate. And so there's a whole other paradigm with that. But when I want you guys to think about like an effective leader, do not think nor be the type of person that has to continually remind other individuals that, hey, I'm in charge, I'm the leader. But does any of that sound familiar? Did you ever have a boss that had to assert themselves as the leader? Because during my time serving the military, I observed and served underneath many individuals with this type of a leadership dilemma. And the leadership dilemma is when you recognize a poor leader that is in a position that they're not suited for. But, however, as Romans 13 says, you still must subject yourself to their authority regardless Throughout my military career, I served under several leaders and I learned a great deal about how not to be a leader. When I first entered in the military, I would take mental notes and tell myself what I liked and I, what I didn't like from each leader I served under. And I made promises to myself that I would never fall into the kind of leadership traps I see many fall into. When I you know, began to move up the ranks, I, I began to start to develop my leadership philosophy, but leadership philosophy on how to be a leader starts... Um, the second you start to, you know, honestly, it starts in like your, your childhood. The type of modeled uh, parents that, uh, how your parents led you, the type of friends you associate yourself with, the uh, sports clubs and everything else, you're beginning to learn leadership skills, whether it's in the positives or the negatives. And what you need to understand is that you, you need to be looking at what leadership traps, what are the positives, what are the negatives, and you learn both from many different people. I remember there's one boss that I had that I swear, you know, I love watching The Office. And I remember watching Michael Scott. I remember thinking, man, that would be awful to have a boss that was like that kind of bipolar. Well, I had one. There's a boss that I had that, you know, at times we were like best buds. Like it was cool. We would hang out. And then he would make this switch in his head where out of nowhere he would just come down hard on me. And he would just come out of nowhere. I'm like, well, I thought we were buddies. And so there, that was a an interesting time in which I had a boss that was like a Michael Scott kind of a boss. But what I'm telling us is that we can learn a lot from leaders, both good and bad, and we can incorporate and develop a leadership strategy um, that is really your own. Um, You can take principles like even from this podcast or from other books, and those can help get you on the right direction. But the biggest thing is you want to create your own philosophy and development of leadership for yourself based off of your personality and how God has wired you. Now here's the thing, regardless of the perceived position or title, everyone needs to understand that every person eventually will be in some form of leadership at some point in time. Now I I broke this down on how to be an effective leader into three categories and three characteristics. Really? The first one is a leader is selfless. The second one is a leader clearly communicates. And then the third one is a leader establishes values. So here's what I want to start with the first one of being selfless. A leader is a selfless leader. Ask yourself if you're not in the position of leadership or you're striving to be a position in leadership, why do you desire to be a leader or why are you in that leadership position? How do you view yourself within that position? I want you to imagine a time in your life when you entered a situation where problem solving was needed and everyone looked around the room to find out who was going to step up. As a kid, maybe it was the captain choosing teams or establishing the rules for the kickball game. Uh, in your part-time job, maybe it's someone volunteering to organize the new inventory that just came in that needs to be displayed. I worked, sadly, retail. I worked at Hollister and Paxson, and I remember constantly, they're like, all right, we need a volunteer, and no one would step up, and then you would get voluntold. Well, a leader, regardless of the, the prominence of the position that is being needed, a leader would naturally step up and take charge of that. Um, so when you flip now in the corporate world as well, uh, leaders observe a problem. They develop a solution, and they lead others to accomplish that goal. And that's a dilemma that everyone goes through, yet sadly, many do not realize why anyone steps up in the intentions behind the individual who does. Because like I said earlier, everyone is a leader. However, I believe that some are genetically predisposed and are wired to be more of a decisive leader. This disposition, I think, is really hardwired into their DNA in which their personality is tuned in to be empathetic towards others, their needs, and the common goal. Now, these strong leaders desire to unite people towards a to- common goal and helps other people reach that objective of that goal. And these types of leaders are typically the selfless leaders. The, the other leaders that are not born with these leadership qualities, but they're working at attaining them. These are the leaders that make it about themselves because they want to, quote unquote, put in the hard work to earn the position that they are in. These are the leaders who have to remind you of their title, rank, responsibilities and tell you that they are in charge. If you find yourself having to tell those underneath you that you're in control, I'm sorry, but you're not an effective leader and should probably step aside. A leader does not need to remind the subordinates about themselves, what they have done, or what they have accomplished. One bit of advice that I had someone give me as I was getting out of the military is, no one cares who you used to be. And I think that's so true because so often a lot of people And granted, we have these experiences for a reason and God lets us go through these situations for a specific purpose, but a lot of people cannot move past their past. You know, they have kind of this picturesque mindset of this glory period in their life of how everything used to be perfect back then, everyone was great back then, you were just killing it, and now you're in some miserable, sucky situation and i think a lot of that comes down to as we transition and grow and mature in our lives and you move up into the career field that you're good desiring to be in or you might not actually be in the career that you're desiring to be in you you look at these times in which you're constantly looking forward to the next thing and you're either looking forward to the next thing or you're reflecting back on something that had us already been and you try and recreate that structure you try and recreate That paradigm in this organization and it doesn't always translate and it doesn't always carry through now The individuals who does who do not need to remind their subordinates about themselves and what they've done These are not always the leaders that are winning the awards or getting notoriety You know what good leaders do who are selfless is they elevate those who work for them They try and push for these individuals as recognition Trying and get them into the awards or trying to give them the praise. See, the leader needs to understand that they work for the individuals and not the other way around. When the leader serves the team, the team can then fill the mission and accomplish the goal. When the leader has the team serving them, him or her, whoever that leader is, and the whole paradigm of that team is to make them look good, the group becomes more focused on pleasing the leader than achieving the goal. And that's not what you want when the whole team or the work environment is so concerned with making sure that the boss is happy, what do you think that does for the staff? What do you think that that does for all of those people that are working for the individual? They will only put in just enough work. So that way when the individual walks by, they can get that praise or accolade. But realistically, the kind of work quality you're going to get in the work ethic is not going to be anything of what it could be if the leader prioritizes their people and not prioritizes themselves. See, to be a selfless leader, you have to care more about your people than you do yourself. And with that, too, a good leader does not ask other people to do things that they themselves are not willing to do. You know, I had, a, again, one, one other boss that we would start this, this job, right? So, for instance, one time we were filling a bunch of sandbags. And he got out there and he started filling the sandbags and then he slipped away for several hours. And then he came back right as we were finishing the job to make it look and appear as if he had been with us the whole time. I remember I I had a lunch with him one time and I was just talking to him and just picking his brain like, hey, you know, how did you get into this position? You know, what leadership advice would you give me? And he said, oh, Ethan, here's the best bit of advice I can give you as a leader is always start the job with them and then fade away because you don't really need to be there working with the team. But then show back up right towards the end and they'll never know even know that you are gone and it'll look and appear as though you've been with them the whole time. That, to me, is just someone who does not have the finger on the pulse of what it means to be an effective leader. Because everyone knows when the boss is not around. Everyone knows when the boss is coming back in. And everyone knows, too, that the boss wasn't there throughout the whole time. You know, I remember growing up, I had tons of different jobs. The first job I had was I worked at McDonald's at the drive through And then another job I had was I delivered pizzas. I worked at a gas station. I was a security guard at a mall. Yes, you can make fun of me. I was a mall cop. I know. Laugh, laugh, laugh. But the thing that I consistently found myself is that when a leader empowers their subordinates that, hey, you're hired to do this job, I trust you to do this job, you empower the subordinates. But then not only that, the leader is there to help you when you need that assistance. The leader does not abandon the people because what I saw often in some of these jobs Is I was hired in to do the job, uh, I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. And I assumed that I was going to get some training on how to do this job better, how to do the job to the standard that was required of me. But how many jobs have we ever started in which the standard of what is expected of you is never given to you? You start the job and then you're like, okay, I'm just going to try and figure this out. And you start going and you are going, and then bam, you get in trouble or bam, you do the wrong thing or you get reprimanded or you receive a you know, a derogatory comment on your eval, and you're thinking, man, I must have really screwed up. And then the leader just kind of bashes you over the head with it. Like, take a second and just think through this, like, what instructions were you given in how to perform or to do this job? See, if the leader is not selfless, the leader does not care truly about the work performance of the individual. They only care about the work performance that is observable from their higher ups on how it makes them look. You know, again, let's go back to the office analogy. How many times was Michael Scott just trying to be, you know, he wanted the work environment to be like a group of family and friends. But then the second he got hammered from David Wallace up at corporate, uh, he would come down and would not really back up his team or would kind of like flip out when things weren't going his way. Because the the boss that doesn't care about its people doesn't really do Anything when things are going well. They don't try and do professional development. They don't try and assist their people. They kind of just sit back and just let everyone coast. And as long as no one is getting in trouble and it, as long as it looks like it's going well, then everything's fine. But what kind of a work environment is that? Like everyone is wanting to work towards a goal. Let's face it, everyone wants to kind of move up the hierarchical ladder. Everyone wants to get that promotion. Everyone wants to get that pay raise. And if there's no incentives, what's the incentive for a lot of these people to put in a good hard day's work? Uh, you know, I know in the military, dude, this, this drove, drove me nuts. There's these guys that you know would do bare minimal effort, uh, they would get Article 15s, they would get all these disciplinary actions, and when they actually started doing well, they got really rewarded. Uh, these guys would get like the three-day weekends or they'd get the medal, but then the guys who are constantly putting in the hard work, constantly doing the hard job, we're always having to pick up the slack for these guys and they never got the recognition. Um, the person who would do the, the the dirt bag who ended up doing a little bit of a good job would get patted on the back. And what is not being said is that the other bit of the team was having to pull that person through. So they might've done 10% of the work, which was visible, but the other 90% was done by the rest of the team. If you have a staff structure like that, where only one or two people are getting um the praise, but then the rest of the team is doing the work and they're not getting any praise. Like that's a big deal. Now I know in the book of Galatians, Paul says, Am I now trying to please man or if I am trying to please God? We should always as Christians be working unto the Father, not unto the boss, but at the same time we are to be respecting the leader. But also with that too, there is this expectation of a person in authority over top of us needs to be held to a standard and needs to be making sure that they're holding everyone else to the same standard. When that standard ebbs and flows, I mean you really get a toxic work environment now a selfless leader is not going to have these narcissistic tendencies ever um, or at least not nearly as evident I've worked with organizations where the leader was so narcissistic everything was about them Every staff meeting, it was just them telling them, telling stories about themselves and what they used to do. And it was always hyping up about that. And then anytime anyone would ever speak up, they would always have to give homage and praise to the individual that was in charge. And the the individual would just be sitting back nodding his head like, yes, yes, you are paying homage to me. That is not a selfless leader. Uh, If you are a leader, you need to be selfless. Or if you are looking at moving up, or if you have the potential to be in a leadership position, you need to be selfless. Now this goes also into the family aspect. It goes into the home where husbands, you need to be selfless to your family. You need to prioritize your wife and your kids over and above yourself. If you think that your wife and kids are there to serve you at your every beck and call, and you're never actually putting forth the effort and doing what you're expecting of them, that's backwards. And you're modeling horrifically poor leadership. So leadership is not just always in the workplace. It's definitely at the house as well. So when you're leading your family men, how are you leading your family? How are you leading your wife? How are you leading your kids? Are you setting the example and are you being selfless? If you're asking your wife and kids to do something that you're not willing to do yourself, what does that tell you about you? Because people model what is um, represented to them and people follow the suit that is modeled to them. Now, women, the moms out there, if you're a mom or if you're not a mom or if you're a single woman or a single man, but specifically I wanna talk to the women here, how are you being selfless to your kids? Are your kids an annoyance? Are your kids just bothering you? Or do you prioritize your kids over and above yourself? Now, don't get me wrong here. Uh, You've got to set clear boundaries with your kids because your kids will dictate your life. Kids are a very important aspect of your life, but your children should never dictate your life. When Dine and I had our first kid, Caden, I remember we both made like this solemn promise to each other that we will continue to do as much as we possibly can do and allow Caden to kind of accompany with us. So what this looked like was when he was safely able to go outside, we would still go out and do hiking. We would go out to restaurants. We would go to movies. And, yeah, it didn't always work out that time. You know, I remember we tried many movies to see, okay, can our can our baby kind of sit through this? And no, he he didn't. But at the same time, though, we were able to go out on hikes where we got a baby backpack. We carried him. We went to restaurants because a lot of times I, we came across parents where their whole life was dictated by the nap time. And don't get me wrong, I get that too. But the kid dominated that life. And as the kid starts to grow up, the kid will realize that they're actually leading in the way in which the f- parents need to be leading. When the kid cries, the parents respond because oftentimes we as parents get scared that, oh, our kids are crying. They're not supposed to cry. No, your kids are allowed to cry. It's good for them to cry. It gets out energy and excitement from them. But if you're constantly trying to shush shush, shush the baby and trying to keep them quiet, like, what what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to give them a bottle. Or I'm going to give them electronic devices. So being a selfless leader goes not just in the workplace but also in the home place in making sure that you are not expecting or asking other people to do something that you are not willing to do. Now, the second aspect of effective leadership is effective leaders can clearly communicate. Now, here's what I mean by this. Have you ever heard of what's called an echo chamber leader? This is a type of leader that facilitates discussions, ideas, and goals to the team in which the unit is actually or the team is not allowed to speak into the discussion. They become an echo chamber of what they know the leader desires to hear. Does this sound familiar to anyone in any situation? Probably. Because you as a leader must communicate clearly to your team the goals, vision, direction, and expectation. The leader should possess the ability to articulate the desires and the end state of what the entire team is working towards. But if you don't allow your people to weigh in on decisions, ultimately, yes, there are decisions that you cannot have, you know, complete culmination and, you know, feedback from everybody. But if they don't have buy-in or they don't feel like you're even listening to them, what's the point? I've been at meetings before where it looks like we're brainstorming. It looks like we're collaborating only to find out towards the end that all of the ideas that anyone in the team brought forward were completely expunged because clearly the leader already had the end state in mind and just wanted people to feel like they had quote unquote buy-in. I remember I went up to one of these guys afterwards. I said, hey man, I feel like that, that meeting had no purpose. He goes, yeah, yeah, it really didn't because we already knew what we were going to do. But we wanted people to feel like they had skin in the game. This sounds a lot like that leader that I had earlier in the military where he would show up at the beginning, leave, and then come back at the end. Like, you must think that we people are pretty dumb if you don't think that we don't recognize what you're doing here and your poor leadership. Because you need to be able to communicate clearly and allow your subordinates to be able to weigh in. Because think about it, you're not going to be the expert in everything. You know, depending on your situation, you're a leader, but really you're a manager. You're a people manager and you're a logistics person as well. You're doing a lot of admin. Leaders must be able to communicate communicate clearly because being able to communicate also means allowing the team to provide feedback so they can openly express their ideas, concerns, or approaches. Allow your team to bring their brain to work because otherwise, why did you hire them? Right? So like think about their job positions that you brought in. What What is their job description? What is their job position? And why were they hired in the first place? If you're hiring people for like a subject matter expert job and you're not going to listen to them, why... What's the point like you just have a bunch of like shadows filling these positions in which they're not actually able to be using their gifts and talents to the betterment of the organization because you as a leader you cannot and you do not know everything you need to allow the team to fill the gaps of your knowledge with their expertise so treat them like experts for which you hired them because if you're a leader who thinks that they know everything I mean you're failure to launch right there and your team will pick up on that really quickly. Because when the team genuinely feels that their voice is being heard, this develops rapport with the team and it does actually give them buy-in. And that is the mission, the goal, and the purpose that you are trying to do as a leader is get all of your team together on the same mission and to feel like they have buy-in because you're actually listening to them, taking in best practices, and rejecting non-good practices. Now, it's not just the leaders that you're trying to get the mission, goal, and purpose. Giving your people a voice and buy-in, it really reduces the possibility of becoming a micromanager. I've had micromanagers before where they say, hey, Ethan, I need you to create this. I start to do it, and then they start to dictate every little detail. Now, as a leader, you need to be able to back off, empower, and delegate the authority to your subordinates to be able to execute the job accordingly. But if you go in there and micromanage, eventually what's going to happen is they're going to be like, all right, if you're wanting this so unique and specific how about you come and do it yourself? Now granted, you're never gonna say that to your boss, but still like this happens and it frustrates people and this is how burnout happens and this is how a high staff turnover rate will occur as well. Because you must not, instead of instead of micromanaging, uh, you need to do like a day-to-day type of coaching. That's what the type of leader needs to be that is empowering people, especially if they're unfamiliar with their job. The leader needs to come alongside and be a day-to-day coach. Um, The leader must be coaching the individuals daily to ensure a proper redirection is accomplished in case the individual actually gets off task. Now, hear me out here. Redirection is not always necessarily constructive criticism. Redirection is re-explaining the desired goal to the individual or the team and communicating a potential approach to accomplishing this differently. So if you gave someone a task and they're having issues doing it, you come alongside them instead of saying, well, you're an idiot. Why don't you just do it this way? Help guide them to see, especially if it's very clear how they could be doing it, because so often people get tunnel vision, guide them into finding that solution because then it is empowering them to realize, oh, okay, he does trust me. uh, And you know, he's kind of coaching me along here. And that just really begins to help because when the team sees that the leader wishes for their success to achieve the goal, the team is much more likely to approach the leader with questions on how they could better achieve this goal. Because the last thing you want as a leader is for your subordinates or anyone working for you or under you or even with you is to see you and then they run the other direction. I used to do that all the time. I had this one boss that I knew if he saw me, even if I was busy, he would give me some other task to do because he just felt like if I'm not constantly tasking out my people, um, they're not going to actually do their job and so they overtask saturate individuals which again leads to burnout which leads to distrust and honestly it leads to avoidance of that leader by all stretches of the means because as a leader you must understand that you do not and most not and most likely will not always have the answer so this is why you need to rely on your fellow subordinates to assist you when you realize that you actually may be out of your area of expertise so that's why it's good to allow people to come that work for you to ask you questions but at the same time asking them, well, what do you think we should do? What solution do you have to present that you think we could work through this quicker? And that's what a good leader does in communicating clearly. Now, when you rely on your fellow subordinates, it helps you and it uses the whole team integrity to better the mission. And let me say this, it does not make you look weak. In fact, this strengthens the bond that you as a leader has with the subordinate and it reinforces the model that you are demonstrating you desire to be accomplished for the team. You can't expect your team to follow something in which you are not modeling for them. The saying I've always heard, and I'm sure you guys have heard this too, is do as I say, not as I do. That's complete garbage and should never come out of the leader's mouth. And if that's you, you need to stop. Now, the next section here on effective leadership is establishing values. I think this is really key. Now, let me ask you this. If you were to go up to anyone in your organization or place of work and ask that person, Uh, about what is the goal of this organization or what is it that we're trying to do? Now, sometimes you have the overall arching goal of like the general goal and then you have day-to-day specific goals, but does everyone know why they're there? Like what is your organization there for? So depending on what your status of work is, wherever it's at, do people know why they're doing what they're doing? Uh, For a lot of people, it's just an ends to me. They just wanna get a job or excuse me, they just wanna get a paycheck. Now, work environment should not ever, in my opinion, should not use the word, we're a family here. Because it's when they use the word, we're a family here, that's when real abuse starts to happen. Because what's interesting about this is that if you ask anyone in your organization, I guarantee you there's going to be you know, the overarching goal, which everyone should know. But if you ask them what the day-to-day purpose of the organization, most employees do not know it. And they will only do just enough to get by without getting in trouble or to keep the boss off their back. Now, that's not a conducive work environment for productivity, and it will eventually burn out your employees or even have them searching job boards for other employment. The leader must communicate the big picture of the organization, but the leader also must convey their own values for what they have for those underneath in their leadership. It's not just enough to become a parrot and regurgitate the values on the company website. You know, for example, in the Air Force, the values were integrity first, service before self, and excellence in everything you do. Now, that's the values of the organization, but what about the leaders within that organization? Yes, they are all using that structure of their values, but the leader must establish their own values and philosophy of leadership and communicate this to the team. The leader then speaks those values. If you have a philosophy of a philosophy of leadership, which you should, and if you don't, you start developing that. The leader then speaks this to the team and stresses the importance of these values, so that the team members incorporate those into their day-to-day operating, working lives and adopt them. Now, when you establish your values and you try and limit them to three, which is what I always try and push for, it keeps it easy to remember and it can be used as a redirection in your day-to-day coaching, which is again another form of effective leadership. If you don't have three values, here's a suggestion for figuring them out. Write out on a sheet of paper what you desire to see in your employees, what you desire to see in their interaction, their successes, and their accomplishments. This will help you develop your values. But NOGA's the target of those values. It's all about the people underneath you, it's not about yourself. Because this helps you serve them and it keeps you out of the spotlight and allows you to build up and encourage your team. Leaders must understand it's not about you, It's not about your accomplishment. It's not about your numbers and it's not about your success. It is about those who are under you. And that is a form and style of servant leadership. You as a leader exist to serve those under you to accomplish the goal and the mission. You're not a leader. The people consist of and constitute a good leader. A leader by himself is not a leader. It's the people that surround and that are willing to follow that leader that makes that person an actual leader. Because without these people you are a one person show and you have ceased being a leader and you have instead become a self licking ice cream cone. If you are currently serving underneath someone who is not a good leader, you can still learn from them and use those instances of what you disagree with to reinforce the values and philosophy you have for your leadership style. Because I think the hardest thing for a lot of us is when we're in these situations when we've got some crummy bosses, crummy leaders, a crummy staff culture, is a few questions that i have is there anything you can do to help right that ship of the organization if there's not and it doesn't look like you can change it from the inside you need to ask yourself what's the line in the sand of what i'm willing to do and where's the line in which if they cross this boundary and they cross this line that's it for me i need to leave Uh, a, a model that i had and i'm sure many people would disagree with me is that if i'm not having fun doing my job then i don't know what i'm doing I know that might sound, you know, kind of controversial for a lot of people. It's like, no, no, no. You know, you have to earn money. You have to do this. Yes, you do. Of course you do. But there's nothing worse than waking up and dreading having to go into the office or dreading to have to deal with your boss or dreading to have to deal with whatever. Now, can you and have you tried to make that situation better? better? Have you tried and put in a little bit of effort to try and right the ship to try and redirect the ship to see can you change the culture in a lot of places you can't? A lot of places, it's toxic when you come into that. And a lot of that too comes from a narcissistic leader who just is continually purporting and pushing everything about them. And what's interesting is a lot of people who get locked into organizations like that don't leave because of fear of what might happen to them should they leave. There's that fear that this individual could ruin any future career that if their next employee calls back for a reference that that boss would just completely bash you. If that's a fear that you have, that your boss would completely bash you for a reference call, then you immediately have identified you work for a toxic organization and you are in a toxic work status relationship because a true good leader, if they're really investing in their people, their people will not desire to look elsewhere. If you're valuing your people and you're paying your people what they are deserving to be paid for and you're taking care of them, the likelihood of them wanting to search the job boards is not going to be that severe. It's not going to be that high. However, I do know that God calls us into different positions in different places. And when that happens, the leader, again, needs to realize it's not about themselves. It's not that they failed them, but what have they done to aid and equip that individual to get them into that next organization, to get them into that next position? Because what goes around comes around. And if you're constantly trying to keep what you have and you're so scared of losing, if you're a leader and you're so scared of losing your employees, that translates and your people will pick up on that. If people are too scared to even suggest or hint like, yeah, I I think I might want to move because my family back in, you know, Texas, uh, there might be some issues. I might want to look at that. If you don't feel like you could go and talk to your boss or the boss might be like a two faced person where it's like, oh yeah, that's fine. But then immediately, hey, clean out your desk the next week, then you're working for a really poor, sad organization. So the question is, is can you change the environment? Can you change the organization? Can you change the culture? If you can, then you need to stick it out and you need to figure it out and how you can do that in the best way possible without being insubordinate, without being disrespectful and everything else. However, if you've been trying that, you've been plugging away and you still can't, in my opinion, you need to get out of that job. You need to immediately start looking and just deal with the consequences later because too often, you know, guys, life is too short. And when you're working in a toxic environment and you're working in a place where you're literally dying every day, man, like. That's miserable. Like when your job eats you up where you're at home and your job follows you home and your job can call you back in and your job is constantly nagging. Now, granted, there's positions and there's jobs in which that absolutely does happen, you know, because of the uniqueness of that job. But for the most part, for most jobs, if you're at home and your boss calls you and says, you need to come back in, uh, you know, for for this and this, you know, I think a great one that, you know, example that we can all relate to is all those Christmas movies where the dad or the mom or whomever is working a job and they're staying super late on Christmas Eve. And it's like, man, I got to get home. No, no. The organization comes first. Okay. Yes. There's a point in which obviously the organization comes first because we all got to earn a paycheck and you're not just gonna get money for free. But at the same time, are you taking care of your people enough to actually allow them to go home and spend time with their families? Or do you think that the organization is so important that families and people are not worth investing in? because people invest in one or two things. They invest in persons or people, or they invest in things. A lot of organization I have come across, they invest in things. And the people and the personnel and the staff budget takes the biggest hit. You know, they invest in things with, you know, products, with curriculum, with books, with training sites, with, shoot, conference meetings, with, you know, awareness training, with all of this other stuff, which I mean, don't even get me started into staff meetings about how staff meetings need to be conducted. But when they're so concerned with the things they don't invest in their people, if you invest in your people and you pay your people what they deserve and you pay your people to be the best at their job, they that will motivate people. Now, money doesn't motivate everybody. I get that. But when you have a a positive staff culture, when you have a positive leader who actually listens to its people, who follows along and actually gets to know their people, you know, that is a good organization. No. How, how many of you listening have a boss that actually knows anything about you outside of the office? Do they know about your wife and kids? Do they, do they know about where you came from? Because a good boss will want to get to know their people. A good boss will kind of want to know their situation. Now, granted, they don't need to know your favorite color and everything else, but like, does your boss know you at all? Do they even know your name? Do they talk to you for more than 10 seconds outside of a staff meeting? If not, then that's probably not the best type of organization to be working for. So this is kind of uh, a few thoughts that I put together on the first bit of a series on effective leadership. I'm curious hearing from you guys, I'm going to put some questions down in uh, in this podcast to respond to what are some stories and examples that you have of good leadership and of poor leadership? And is there anything in specifically in specifics that you saw that you would love for me to address uh, in the next upcoming podcasts? Um, I hope this encourages you. And for those of you who have been maybe just questioning, like, man, is this a good spot? Is this a good organization? I'm hoping this brings some things to light for you to think about, Hey, maybe you need to start looking for that exit plan, or maybe the problem isn't you. Uh, So often I feel like the bosses and leaders constantly are saying, you're the issue, you're the issue. And they take zero responsibility for themselves. Again, that's not a good organization that you'd need to be working for. Life is too short for you to just be constantly miserable and literally dying to live at your job. Your job can be and should be enjoyable. God has given you unique gifts and skills and talents, and how are you best using those? And are you being used to your fullest potential where you are right now? If you're not being used to your fullest potential right now, then what are you doing? Are you making any steps necessary to get to that position, to get to that job, to get to where you want to head, where you can use your gifts and talents and you're being a good steward of what God has given to you. The most frustrating thing for somebody is to be in a position or to be in a job in which their gifts and talents are not being adequately utilized. Essentially, you have hit a ceiling at your position and there is no way forward. There's no promotion. There's no next step. And you keep waiting and waiting and waiting. Maybe next time, maybe next time, maybe next time. Let me tell you this, that next time is probably never going to come. So you can continue to wait for the inevitability of which you will just end up becoming some old person looking back and like, why did I waste all this time? Or you can make the necessary steps and changes in the organization if possible, or start looking for that exfil plan. Well, hopefully this is an encouragement to you guys. Um, Hope that you are enjoying these podcasts. Got a lot of other ones lined up. Like I said, I've got a special guest coming on in the next week or two. But thank you guys for joining me on this Leadership Part 1 series at the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. And if you haven't already, check out the Battlefield Theologian YouTube channel. I've got several different teaching videos on there on hermeneutics, church history, reliability of the New Testament. And I hope that that encourages you. Have a good one, guys, and stay safe.